Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. People ask me a lot, Tracy, how do you choose who comes on your podcast? Honestly, it's selfish. I like to be around really smart people who are really heart-centered that I get to learn something from. And Nicola Lipscomb is definitely one of those people. She's a professional speaker. She's a listener. She consults with big organizations because she's devoted to teaching people how to be heart-wise leaders, how to be mindful leaders, how to connect to their heart and listen well to their staff. And she creates these amazing curated conferences and workshops for teams. And she does it in a way that feels mm, not spotlighty on her, but completely creating this transformational experience for the people that she works with. And she even brings some, not only Western science, but Eastern spirituality um, to her work. So I really wanted to connect with her on the podcast, and she's been such a generous champion of what we do at Sidewalk Talk, so it feels so lovely to get to champion her back. Be ready for a love transfusion. I think you're going to get one, and we definitely definitely take up some interesting conversation around confidence and around bringing heart into the workplace. So you'll learn a lot, too, definitely around how you show up at work. So Nicola Lipscomb. So excited for you to meet her. Nicola Lipscomb, I'm really excited to have you on, and I'm going to tell you something funny that you don't know. I look forward to your LinkedIn posts, especially your Friday posts, when you usually post something that's very soothing at the end of the week. And it's usually an invitation to get super present and super mindful and super heart-centered. And so I always kind of seek you out before I sign off for the weekend. So that's something you didn't know. (laughs) That's something I didn't know. And you're making me smile right down to my toes, into my heart and down to my toes to know that it's making an impact. Because you so often, we so often put things out there and we don't really know whether they're being received and how they're being received. So thank you so much, Tracy. I'm thrilled. Well, I feel like, you know, one of my core values is play and learning. And I wanted to be in dialogue with you because I knew I was going to be in a, a generous place of learning from you. And you you have this playful quality in in some of our exchanges and emails. Um, But I wanted to learn more about you as a person, because I'm drawn to all the work that you do in the world around listening. Mm -hmm. And I'm drawn to all the work that you do in the world around teaching people really to connect both with their hearts and with each other. 
I want to get where all this comes from, though. Like, is this where how you started out in life? Was this your career that you had a passion for since you were a young child? Like, tell, give me the story of of Nicola. Yes, I came out of the womb like this. <laughs> <laughs> Not. <laughs> Not even close. I think, like a lot of people, it's our life's journey and some of the crucible moments along the way that shape us. And often those crucible moments or those shaping moments aren't particularly pretty. So one of the key moments in my life was in uh, 2011 and I was working at university. I was on that academic path. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to belong. I was being pressured to do a PhD. I was trying to fit in the mould that people were putting me in, which wasn't suiting me, but I wanted to belong so badly. I was being drawn down that path and ended up unwell, going to see the doctor, and within 24 hours coming out with an X-ray showing that I had a tumour that was growing in the middle of my chest. So that was a crucible moment, if that's what it's called. It was an incredible wake-up call, Um, quite a journey. I know that's a somewhat overused word. But really, that's, I guess, where the change in my thinking, my life, my direction, my why really got kick-started. That was I had been exploring myself to a degree I'd um, over my years, even as a, as a teenager, a little bit of wondering about what was beyond what happened when we died. I did grow up in a religious family, but part of me was curious and seeking. Um, A little segue I can remember when I was, gosh, I would have been around 11 or 12, I think, and my best friend at the time um, was had been confirmed. They were Catholic, and I actually asked her to teach me how to pray because, you know, there was just something that I, I wanted to, to connect with. And I'm not a Christian, but I've obviously had this in me of wanting to search for something that's meaningful and be connected to, to something. And that really then got kick-started in 2011 with um, the diagnosis of cancer, having to go in for cardiovascular surgery, have that the tumour taken out of my chest, go through the recovery and really think about, well, what would have happened if? And since I, in essence, feel like I've got a second chance at life, why or who, who am I and how do I want this to play out now? So there was a lot of exploring And a lot of it came down to being authentic, connecting in with myself, connecting with others, and listening was a big part of that journey. The listening had started at a more head-based, I'd say, and theoretical level a couple of years earlier because 
I was an academic in a school pharmacy. My background is extremely academic and scientific. And I'd actually identified that the students were brilliant at pharmacokinetics and pharmaceutics and not so brilliant when they actually had to go out and placement and deal with patients. So we developed a communications course from the ground up for pharmacy students. Um, and that was when I first realised that actually listening underpinned everything. It underpinned the patient-centred care model. It underpinned the communication. It underpinned the, the counselling that uh, pharmacists provide. So I did a lot of my own research and developed a ground-up course and then became passionately interested in it. And then after my existential crucible crisis moment, it all started to come together and develop more into a heart-based way of listening as well. Gosh, I'm, I'm putting pieces together and, and these words keep floating to the surface. I can just imagine that here you are with this deep longing for belonging and then you're hit with this diagnosis and it sounds to me like the outcome is this deep invitation to connect with your heart it sounds like you're on the path this development of this listening training and working with pharmacists was already beginning but i'm curious how your relationship to belonging as you move from head to heart after your diagnosis and recovery shifted and how has that shifted? That word just keeps standing out for me. It's a really good question. How did it shift? (laughs) What happened when I feel into it is actually very simple the shift was from head to heart so prior to that the connections and the relationships that I had with people I would have said in one sense could be very deep but they were still quite intellectual so there was an element of armor I guess protection mask um, that I had that kept a certain amount of distance and it's one of those paradoxes which I know is not unique to me we crave and yearn for connection yet we can be too scared to be vulnerable enough in order for to enable that to occur and once I started to drop into my body and into my heart and live lead listen operate from that space the belonging shifted to be a far more felt sense and whereas before I was really seeking that that sense of belonging and safety outside of myself, constantly searching, by connecting in with my heart, I started to come home to myself. So I started to feel like I was actually belonging to myself, which gave me 
a greater sense of safety and, and security and confidence in myself as well that I was then able to be more vulnerable with others and develop deeper relationships with others in a very different way and start to create that belonging. So it's it was almost that paradox of when I started to let go of, of desperately wanting to fit in and turned inwards to cultivate that sense of belonging within, then it started to occur outside as well. I'm so glad I asked you that question because I don't think on the podcast anybody's really articulated so well what you just did. And I think we miss this piece. But what I hear you saying is that here was this longing to belong. And the discovery was that, gosh, when I made, when I felt at home with myself and I belonged to myself, it also allowed me to belong in community more because it created the safety and security inside of me to extend in a more vulnerable way, a more heart-centered way. And I think people so focus on the outside, right? On getting the belonging from the outside. And and I hear you saying it's both. It's got to be both. It's both. And then there's this, this beautiful synchrony and flow that occurs. And when you actually feel that deep sense of connection and belonging with yourself, and I'm on on the path, so I don't claim (laughs) to have nailed it yet. It's going to be a lifelong journey. I realise that. But I'm on the path. And when you have that sense within yourself, you actually have more capacity to hold that space and be with others and create that for others because you're not so worried about yourself. It gives you that opportunity to hold a more authentic, rich, deeper, or indeed sacred space for the other. You know, I'm just, I'm, as I hear you, I'm thinking about the work that you do in the workplace. And this would be a way that you can bring in some of this heart-centered. Mm. This is how you sell it, right? I mean, I'm hearing you say, look, when we can really connect with our hearts and feel a deep sense of connection and belonging inside of ourselves, we then have a deep sense of connection and belonging outside in our community. And it increases our capacity both to be in community and I'm even imagining capacity for lots of other things. So tell me how you bring this stuff. I mean, that's my fantasy, but tell me how you bring is that how you bring it into the workplace? Because talking about heart-centered stuff in the workplace, that's some courageous stuff, Nicola. Thank you. Thank you. It is. I will own that. It does take a certain amount of courage, and I waver in that because I'm extremely human. So there are some workplaces in which I can really start to bring in that heart-wise leadership approach in because they're open and receptive. And I have other clients where we don't go so deep and we it's a little more 
around the traditional sense of communication, listening, and bringing in mindfulness. And that's about where it ends. Whereas I, in my own life and at a deeper level, it's mindfulness and heartfulness. It's that full presence and the Buddhist idea of being mindful and living in the now, but there is also that connection to your heart and that inner almost spiritual essence that we hold as well. So it's the the two combined. The gateway in most organisations now actually seems to be around the well-being, I have to say because we know how important belonging is for well-being as well. And given what's happened in the the past year, a lot more organisations are actually caring for their their team in that way and in wanting to make sure that the self-care and the well-being of their teams, their colleagues, their clients within their organisations. So that's the gateway in and then it depends. I listen. I listen to people to see where they're at and can tailor for what people are ready for. That's part, it's part of it. It's part of change. It's part of the listening process. Mm. Listen and feel into the receptivity of people. Mm. It doesn't work when you try and force things onto people that aren't ready. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I've also realised, we are the model. So I can go into an organisation doing a workshop on resilience or emotional intelligence or leadership. How do I show up? How am I holding space? Yeah. How empathic am I when somebody challenges me? And there's been lots of opportunities. And initially when I started my career, I didn't think that way but I've learned sometimes some of the profoundest shifts that you can have with people are alongside what you are essentially teaching them in content because your presence your space holding your modeling gives them a different way of experiencing And it can shift them or open their eyes and open their heart, even though the content can be quite separate. I can even feel that speaking to you now. And I was imagining that, like even in those organizations where maybe they're not ready to go deep, I imagine just the impact of your presence is having this third impact, right? That's not maybe known to them, but felt by them. Yeah. I imagine that. This is what you and the beautiful sidewalk community experience and offer as well. The healing and the transformation just occurs in the in-between, in the space that's, that's created and sometimes and often that's without words. Yeah, it's uh, without words. It's taking me back to that that piece that you'd said when you were in pharmacy and 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 some of the training was intellectual and then when it moved to your heart and sometimes words can can get at least for me I'll speak for myself not for other listeners can get me in my head 
And so it's mm-hmm. those liminal spaces of silence, like when you're inviting someone to come sit in the chair and they first glance up and then look at your face and it's like everything slows down. And sometimes it's that moment that's the most important moment, you know, or the hug goodbye, not anything that's said. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, and the intention, uh, and the intention that the space holder brings, right? Because some days I'm crabby and I'm not as good at it. And I'm just like, eh, you know, yeah. There's a huge energetic component. Totally. It's that energy and synchrony. And I mean, there's a whole physiological and biochemical component that we get that goes along with that. You know, we know that when two people are syncing up, we get that INS, that interpersonal neural synchrony between the two brains that they start to sync up. And we start to get the um the biobehavioral synchrony where we, we we start to breathe in sync, movement starts to occur in sync. If you watch two people who really are in sync, they're unaware of it, but you can start to see that their, their body movements start to synchronise, the breathing starts to synchronise. We have a whole lot of biophysical, um, you know, connection that goes on as well, which goes on without words. And we know as well with the eye gaze. Eye gaze, it's so underestimated still, even though every active listening training known to man will talk about eye contact. There's a difference between sort of looking at somebody and softening your eye gaze, being receptive to really see into them And for somebody to feel that and have the oxytocin that's downloaded, that wonderful bonding trust neuropeptide that gets downloaded as well, it's there's so much that goes on. It's it's fascinating and wonderful. Yeah. Takes me back to graduate school where we used to have to, every Wednesday, we'd have to eye gaze with someone for an hour as part of our training. Wow. (laughs) And track what was, how we were leaving our body and coming out and jumping into their skin, how we were pulling back from the contact, how we were armoring. Speaking of, I'm using these words and I thought it'd be fun to, because, you know, I think that sometimes for folks that have been in a particular field, we use words and think everybody else knows what these words mean. But you've said a couple words and I thought it'd be fun for us to maybe discuss them. You said embody and you said space holding. Mm-hmm. And I think those two two phrases get thrown around a lot. And I, I imagine that you have so much to offer us in helping just regular folks really understand what does it mean when people say get in your body or embody? And what does it mean to hold space? It sounds so, you know, new age, but it's not. I mean, it's important and I want to give it some time. They're two, they're really profound concepts of being, I think, is is one way I would express it. Embodiment is, it is the act of settling into your body, into your skin, into the space that you inhabit. There's an element of mindfulness of being fully 
present in the moment, but it comes from being a space of being grounded within your body. So it's not that you are mindfully present, but it's like your attention is outside of your body. Your attention is fully within your body to be grounded and centered in yourself and in the way I operate is being fully grounded within my core and my heart. And then from that space, I can look or turn my attention outwards to receive. I become a receiver in that sense. But I am very present and grounded in my body and literally connecting with the ground beneath me. So having a process of feeling my feet on the ground, feeling that I actually have etheric roots that are burrowing down into the earth so that I am really here kind of on this planet and I'm in my body and I'm fully present without my mind wandering in this moment open to receive. That. I just I just got that visual of that belonging that we talked about too, that that is also the foundation of belonging. As soon as I could picture you like a, a tree completely inhabiting your home with your, your little tendrils going down into the soil and like, right, because then that's where, she, that's where she, that's where we belong is right there when we can be in, in our skin. Yeah. And we... We need to, if we really want to fully connect with a, another human being, we need to be, we have to embrace our own personal humanity. Otherwise, it's you've sort of got a part human, half a human trying to connect with another half a human in a fully human way. It, it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it doesn't work properly. And the second half of your question around the, the space, the space holding, the metaphor that I often use is around holding a, a listening bowl. And in workshops, I use a singing bowl because I do uh, meditations with sound as well. I find a great way of bringing people into the present moment and to imagine that you're holding this beautiful bowl in both of your hands and it's between you and the speaker and that is the the sacred space the sacred listening space that you're holding for somebody else and you're you're basically um, holding out this gift to somebody of this bowl saying I invite you to fill it with whatever you need to say and it is not for you to put anything in the bowl. It is for them to fill that. And if you can imagine that it may have some water in it and they're dropping their little rocks, their pebbles in there, they're making the ripples. It's their story. If you want to throw a rock in there, you disrupt the ripples. It will never be the way it was when they were telling their story. So if it's it's something that occurs between you, you're holding it mm -hmm. so that they have the opportunity and the freedom to unfurl and expand and unfold 
into that space mm. and they know that it is contained and safe, you know, like a bowl. There's, there's, there's edges, there's a boundary. It's not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to drop it. I'm not going to throw it to anybody else. It's just between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a great metaphor because it really does. It's something we can grab onto and it conveys the, we use the word sacred and safety, which I think is right on, right? It's funny. Yeah. I just looked up and I have a picture of a woman holding a bowl. <laughs> As I look up with her hands, extended. I'll take a picture and send it to you after this because you'll laugh. Yeah, it sounds, it's really, um, I like visuals. So I think it really helps people understand what do we mean when we're, say, holding space and we're saying, I am creating this space for you to fill up. And I also, I love that you'd said, and don't put your material there. This is what's sacred about it, is that you're letting this person take up space. Yes. Yeah. And it is simple, but it's not easy. So even, you know, the metaphor, most people get it. It's like, ah, Mm -hmm. right, now I get what you mean. Try and practice that when you get triggered by somebody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you start to understand that, oh, my goodness, you know, what's my pattern? Is your pattern one of wanting to fix as a a natural judgment that occurs? Are you wanting to appear intellectual so you're wanting to add that little bit in so that they know that you know? There's lots of ways that we I guess throw rocks rocks in that listening bowl that disrupts the ripples for the other Mm. Mm. yeah I loved uh, guilty of all of those at different times (laughs) and yes it's so simple but it takes practice and it's practice that I I have seen improvement like the practice does deliver improvement over time but here's the piece also I, I don't know if you found this I'm just getting kind of excited now what I wish people knew is that it's really fun to hold space. It's not this like laborious thing. It is so incredibly joyful because as people take up space in that bowl that you're describing, my experience, and I'd love to hear yours, is that I get to be privileged to some of the best parts of this human because I have taken the risk to hold space in this way. And then I'm like this giddy child. It's like, (gasps) I get to know all this about you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I absolutely agree. It's it's an honour and a privilege. And I. it depends on what people are sharing. At times there's this incredible, uplifting, inspiring excitement and I, I go away for hours on a high and other times it's it can be sad and profound. And I don't know how many times I've felt like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that somebody shared that, that they felt it's that element of trust, that somebody trusted me that much to share something, particularly in corporate settings, in workshops, where we might do sort of listening exercises and I get... We've got odd numbers, so I pair with one of the participants. And I've had occasions where people literally start to well up 
or are in tears because they have the opportunity to be held in space and it is it can feel so foreign to them that they start to cry and it's it's incredibly it's an incredible privilege and incredibly moving and to be honest even sometimes a little bit scary when you you realize how much power there is in that yeah it sounds very enlivening though even in the waves of grief or hardship or intensity that it's very alive for sure it's life affirming mm. for for both mm. yeah and it's also incredible learning you can learn I'm speaking to the converted here you learn so much from holding that space and listening about another and about yourself and I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that that you grow in yourself through the act of being consciously present open and listening to another yeah well, I just want to highlight that for every therapist or coach that's listening. I've been on a soapbox lately about that because I think the training that people in healing professions get is a kind of dissociation from that kind of humility that you're talking about. That we mm. go in with a theory that interrupts the ways in which we show up in our space holding. But what you're mm -hmm. describing, oof, oh, it's so profound right there what you're talking about. It's been, and it's, it's equal too. You're talking about equality too in that listening. It is, and it requires the expert to be humble. And I that doesn't necessarily go together. <laughs> <laughs> I had to laugh at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to ask you one more question. I'll just throw in. I've had no, to. I still, I still learn. I'm learning that because I know part of my history because I have come from a, a scientific and an academic background where expertise is, oh, it's just revered mm -hmm. as being top of the food chain. So yep. that's the system that I lived in and breathed in for a long, long time. So it's actually taken me quite a while to unlearn that and become more comfortable with that and go it's you know what it is not my qualifications and academic skills really that make the difference mm. it, it is the presence and the, the the energy and the space that I can give is more profound than any amount of, you know, positive psychology that I can or my pharmacy skills and information that I can bring in. Not that I don't uh, dislike an intellect. I, I love, you know, I love intellectual inquiry as well, but it's very different from the profound shift and changes you can get through that heart-based listening and connection. Well said. And an important one, important message. And I think 
I'll just join you in saying that because I was a first college grad in my family, for very different reasons, I felt like I had to compensate by proving my smarts, which then interrupted mm-hmm. and for a totally different reason than you. But similar, it became this distancing from that contact, the intellect did, kind of egoic distancing. So I really appreciate the highlighting of that. I, I wanted to ask you one, one last question before we move into our closing ritual. This has been a question that's been asked of, of me, and I just love learning from people their different takes on this, because you work in so many corporate and organizational environments. The question that I've had from people that are really driven type A stuff, people is they say, you know, this heart-centered stuff, this listening stuff, I'm afraid it's going to interrupt my drive. <laughs> Because I like to hang out on the edge of a little bit of paranoia and fear in order to get a lot done. Mm. And I'm always struck by this question. It's, it's been asked of me several times, you know, and I get it. Like, I really empathize with that. And, and I'm just curious, what do you do with that question? Like, what comes up in you as you hear that question? It reminds me of the question that I have more often, which is around, I don't have the time. What you're asking me to do is going to take time, which I can't afford. The, that that yeah. idea that I've, can't I just tell them what to do? Can't I just give them the feedback? If they get upset, bad luck, just get on with it, suck it up. Why do I have to actually hold that space and listen and be empathic it's it's not it's not my gig kind of thing, um, and it's a tough one to answer. Actually, we really do need to put ourselves actually practice empathy and go. Okay, what is it that's important to you? What do you value about the way that you're operating that um, you know gives you what you need? And how can we turn that to go, well, actually, what you're wanting to achieve with yourself and the business in life, you can actually achieve in a possibly better way if you do this. And it's, it's opening their eyes to possibilities, which they may or may not be ready for. And in my discussions with that type A, it is sometimes reverting back to what matters to them in their language. So if they're worried about losing drive and motivation because they're going into a different different space, it's like, well, what you will find is that if you drop into that space, it actually opens up creativity and innovation so that you're likely to come up with newer ideas faster. Isn't that more productive than the way that you're operating now? If you are able to hold that space for others and create that psychological safety, the chances are you will never get the problems that you're then having to deal with. Isn't that going to be more productive and efficient the way you want it to be? It's it's using their language and their 
their lens through which they they view the world and finding examples which will match. Mm. Make sense? Yep, totally. You're linking with their values, which it sounds like is productivity and innovation, and saying actually it's more productive and innovative. Psychological mm. safety in workplaces is more productive and innovative. And potentially you're doing it in a way that lowers your heart rate, elongates your life, <laughs> gives you more joy. It's kind of a win-win, but I hear you, you know, using good salesmanship. Sometimes it is. Sometimes yeah. It is. Which, sometimes which, by the way, sales, good salesmanship is empathy-based. Yeah. And for some people I've, I have seen in workshops as well, it's that I go back to the modeling is by the end of the day being able to have a discussion with somebody and say, how did you feel in relation to me today? You came into this workshop Mm. or you were sent to this workshop in some cases and I could sense the resistance initially, you know, you weren't responsive and you've challenged these questions and getting them to realise that actually, you know what, Spending that time with you holding, you know, they suddenly realise, oh, you know, I said things that I haven't felt comfortable saying before or, you know what, that didn't seem so fluffy as I thought it was or, you know what, I know something about my colleague that I have worked with for two years and had no idea and that's actually going to be useful for the the meeting that we've got coming up next week mm-hmm. because it's been modelled in the moment, and then you've got to hold the mirror up because mm-hmm. they're not at the point yet where they will realise necessarily themselves, but you actually you act as a little catalyst, hold the mirror up and say, did you notice? Beautiful. They learn it through experiencing it. Yeah. 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 Love that. Power of experience, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I am feeling grateful I get to be on the other end of the experiencing a little bit, a taster, so to speak, of what it's like to be on the other side of a a workshop with you, Nicola. We're at this place where we have this closing ritual where I invite you to speak directly to the listeners that sit on sidewalks around the world, including some in Australia and New Zealand and, and your part of the world. Um, any wish or words of wisdom that you would want to speak directly to them? I hand the mic over to you. What I'd like to offer is we are even more so than we have been in a world where people are feeling very disconnected and very, very lonely, and part of that is touch deprivation. And we, because of COVID, we've been restricted and people are craving that human connection through touch. Don't underestimate the power of listening to be able to be a beautiful replacement for that human physical touch because you can think of listening as a hug that you give with your ears. You may not be able to wrap your arms around somebody, but you can wrap your ears around somebody and give them a hug in that way. 
I love that. I'm writing it down, which was why there was a pause. (laughs) Nicola Lipscomb, thank you so much for being here with us and for the work that you do in the world as another person who's changing the world and the ways in which we connect with one another. I feel so grateful to have been able to be in conversation with you and share you. So thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. I think we could have been in conversation for hours. <laughs> Definitely. And only this is only the beginning, I'm sure. All right, everyone, please check out the show notes and learn more about how you can find Nicola's work. She's in Australia and she is a force. So if you need a love transfusion, go check her out. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.